Uh, look with me there. In, from verse 18 in Matthew chapter 28, it says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Amen. This portion of scripture, again, is where we get what's called the Great Commission from. What Jesus had commissioned his people to apply themselves after. The vision and mission of the Great Commission is church planting. Church planting is the fulfillment of the Great Commission ultimately and we see clearly here in the context of the passage, in the context of the Bible really, that the instruction of uh, in, in Matthew chapter 28 begins, verse 19, begins with go, go. Uh, it's not a consideration, recommendation or even an exhortation, it's a clear directive for the church of God to carry out. The instruction was not given to simply an individual or to a parachurch organization and not just simply to the eleven alone for we see the promise of the Holy Spirit falling not only on them but on all the 120 that were present there in the upper room and we see especially throughout the epistles and even by demonstration through the book of Acts that it wasn't just simply individuals seeking to fulfill the Great Commission, it was the Church of God laboring together to fulfill the Great Commission. The Lord wants the Church to go and to obey the Great Commission. I think there is an idea, um, whether by default or somehow persuaded, that it's the Great Commission is for uh, the leadership of the Church or for the pastor of the Church and it's not. It's not just for him. It's not just for the leadership. It's for every single one of us to be striving collectively, as Paul would put it, for the faith of the gospel. That we are, as a body of Christ, to be striving together for the faith of the gospel. And we see how God works in the world today, not just simply by individuals, but even particularly through the local church, through the body of Christ which he has instituted and which he has ordained to minister the gospel and be a light in these last days. This is why I say the Great Commission was not given to a para-church organization. There's a specific function in the church body and God has designed that the body strive together, strive together with that design. He wants us to go, but not just in any which way. And we see a lot of any which way goings to seeking to establish the preaching of the gospel or some sort of ministry. And this is why, again, I emphasize that God has not called us to just create ministries as it were. He wants us to go and go collectively to do 
what He has commissioned us to do. It's sad that we see the churches of God busying themselves with other matters and neglecting this very thing that God had directly commanded for the church of God to be living out, to be fulfilling. And that's the Great Commission. The Lord wants the church to go. He wants us to go, and this is what we're going to be looking at. He wants us to go with power. He wants us to go with preaching. He wants us to go with purpose. And He wants us to go with His promise. With His promise. Notice the verse thing that we're going to look at. Go with power. Verse 18, He starts... And he says that all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Firstly, I want us to consider the power of authority. This is the power that Jesus is speaking of here, that all authority is given unto him in heaven and in earth. Uh, speaking of privilege, this is jurisdiction or liberty and right has been given to Christ and in like manner he is saying, I have this jurisdiction, I have this liberty, I have this right, it's been given unto me and by that jurisdiction I'm sending you out. And so we have the permit as it was, we have the, the instruction, we have the authority given by Christ to go forth and to preach the gospel. This is going forth with this kind of power, the power of authority. Jesus said that as the Father hath sent him, he says, even so send I you. He is sending us out. He has commissioned the church of God to go out with all authority preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, with all authority seeking to fulfill the great commission in this world. The authority has been given. The approval has been given. The instruction has been given. And so we need to go with that. I was um, fellowshipping or ministering um, with a brother uh, for a short time and he was sharing with me how he, uh, they have um, permission from the authorities, from the council there to stand where they stand to be able to share the gospel. And that's comforting. That's comforting because if any other authority comes and if any other person comes or if any other threatening may come, there is absolute confidence. They're saying, no, we have the right to be here because we have a permit given to us. And that has its place. And I praise God that that was even granted to them, right? That there's still some sort of liberty and open window still there. But with or without that, brethren, we must understand the authority has already been given. The permit has already been granted. And there are people out there that don't know of this authority. They don't even acknowledge this authority that's been given. But whether they acknowledge it or not, we as the people of God understand it's been given to us. Why is it that in these countries where they don't want the gospel preached, where they don't want proselytizing, they don't want you to convert and they put measures in place and they put threatenings in place and they put fines in place and so on and so forth, you still have the children of God seeking to find a way in and feeling burdened to reach these people with the gospel regardless what the authorities of the land may say. Why? Because they're seeking to be rebels? No. 
but they've been given the authority. There is a greater authority than man that has commissioned you and I wherever, whenever, to be preaching the gospel, to be fulfilling the great commission. And no man on earth has been given authority over that. We must understand that, brethren. No man on earth has authority over the church of God, or I should say the authority given by Christ. He is the highest authority and He is the one we appeal to in all cases, even when it comes to appealing to the conscience of men. And we read it in the Scriptures. The disciples were brought in for preaching in the name of Jesus and they were persecuted for it. They were threatened that they should cease to preach and to teach in this name. And with all simplicity and with all authority, Peter and the other apostles answered and said to these Sanhedrin, to the authority of the land, to, to those that had authority amongst the people, it says, we ought to obey God rather than men. You know, God is still around today, brothers and sisters. You know, God is still alive today and His Word still holds weight and absolute authority. And with that authority in its place, in its proper place, we seek to continue to go forth no matter what man may say. Were the apostles made to look like troublemakers? Absolutely. Look what happened in Ephesus. When all they were simply doing was preaching the gospel and people were getting saved. People were being released from the bondage of sin. They were being made right with God and a lot of people did not like that. And so what happened? They caused an absolute uproar in the city and pointed the fingers at the ones that had the message of life. The ones that sought to simply help people, not hurt people. And we still see it taking place today. We see it taking place in history. We see it in the scriptures. We see it in history. And we still see it today. Those that are seeking to make a difference for God have the finger pointed at them as troublemakers. I'll never forget it. I will never forget before this whole virus thing actually came out and the very first restrictions were implemented. I never forget it. There was just a few of us out there on the streets and we were, we were standing there and we were handing out uh, tracts as we did a full time and we were telling people about Jesus as we often do. And I will never forget this one lady walking by with the top of her lungs saying, Are you serious? This is so irresponsible. Mind you, we weren't the only ones out there. Mind you, there was people everywhere and people talking everywhere and people sitting around the place. But just so happens that the Christians with the message of life are the irresponsible ones. Friends, as Brother Charlie said it in the morning, I want to say it to you, we cannot have our heads in the sand. We are going to be persecuted for righteousness' sake. We are going to be misunderstood. They are going to say the message we have, as many of us have heard it, is a message of hate. It's a message of discrimination. It's not a message of love and so on and so forth. But regardless what the accusations, regardless what the threatenings, regardless what the restrictions, we've been given a mandate. And with that mandate has come all authority from heaven. Why did certain of our brothers and sisters end up in communist camps? 
persecuted for what? Simply because they would not relinquish their authority given by Christ to stand for him and to speak for him and to share those things that Christ has committed to us. Who ought we to obey, brothers and sisters? We ought to obey God rather than men. We go with the power of authority, but not only the power of authority, we go with the power of ability. Now, I just want you to listen for the sake of time and give you the references later if you don't have them. In Luke chapter 24 and verse 49, he says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye, sit down, be still, and wait in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, he says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And so we see, although Jesus had given the great commission to the disciples of Christ, and he had given them the power of authority, he strictly instructed them also to wait until the Spirit of God was poured upon them. He strictly told them to wait in Jerusalem until they be endured, until they be clothed upon, until they receive power from on high, speaking about the Spirit of God. And so the power that Christ wants us to go out with is in the power of the Spirit of God. And we see that no doubt demonstrated in Acts chapter 2 when the Spirit of God was poured out. What happened? They became witnesses of Jesus Christ. That by the power of the Spirit of God, they lifted up their voices. These ones that were hiding once from the fear of Jews with all boldness declared the gospel declared Christ specifically to all men. How? Was it in and of themselves and of their own strength? No, it was by the power of the Spirit of God. And with that same instruction, let me say this, brothers and sisters, we are not to go out there with our own efforts and our own strength and doing things in the arm of the flesh. We have not been called to create programs as such. We have not been called to go out with our own intellect, with our own argumentation, using persuasive statements and arguments to win people to Christ by a bunch of facts. We've been going out there to minister the truth of the Word of God by the power of the Holy Ghost. It's a demonstration that was very precious, especially to those that shared it. You know why? Because when people will see that power, they would see there is, it's not about the man. It's not about the man. Amen. We see how it was manifest in that day, clearly understood. They were saying things like this. They perceived that these were ignorant and unlearned men. Where did they get this kind of wisdom from? Where did they get this kind of boldness from? It comes from the Spirit of God. And by that power, by that spirit, you and I are to be ministers and fulfillers of the Great Commission, to be active by the power of the Holy Ghost. Jesus lifted up the importance of it. He didn't just commission them and say, go, get out there and get on with it. He says, I want you to do this, but I want you to wait for my spirit so you can be able to do that. And so I think you and I need to understand, brothers and sisters, we cannot fulfill the Great Commission. 
This is why, I'll say not the only reason why, but this is why he has given us the Holy Ghost. This endowment from on high we see in scripture as a never-ending outflow. We see even after that they were threatened and persecuted in Acts chapter 4 when they brought those things before God. They knew they had received the Spirit of God which was not a spirit of fear but one of power and of love and of a sound mind. And when they came before God collectively, they asked for boldness to be witnesses unto Him. And the Bible says they were filled with the Holy Ghost. He is there for us. And God has designed that you and I are not to minister unless it's to be ministered by the power of the Spirit of God. I think every one of us here who has attempted to do that without Him, we can all testify that it's been frustrating. It's been a mess. It's perhaps caused hurt and damage. You know why? It wasn't the Spirit of God that was leading us and empowering to do things. It was us in our own wisdom, perhaps, benefit of the doubt, in all sincerity, trying to do something, but it wasn't of God. And so the Spirit of God is there to empower us to do the will of God. It's the power of God. It's the same word where we get our English word for dynamite from. Ability, might, strength given to do the work of God. Paul was so sensitive to it. Coming to a place called Corinth where they desired philosophers and eloquence of speech. Paul says these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of men's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That your faith, this is why, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You know why God has also not only given us His message to preach, but the power that comes by the Spirit to do it? So that mankind does not look to one man and say, mate, what a preacher, what are this, what are that. And then we start saying things like, well, so-and-so says this and so-and-so says that and so-and-so says that as if our faith and hope rested in what so-and-so said. Mm. It's not by that. And so Paul's saying here, I didn't come here with, with eloquent speech. I came here with absolute plainness. And the demonstration of the power that you saw was not of Paul. It was of God's Spirit to confirm the word that was being preached. So you know where men's hope and faith would stand? In God. In God. And this is why we are to be ministering in the power of God. And oftentimes, perhaps, you church family can testify of those that have shared the word here at times that you, may, you probably can testify and know, you know what, that wasn't, that wasn't the man up there. There was something of the touch of God upon him that you could see very evidently that was of God. And we may explain it in different ways. What I'm trying to say simply is that he has given us of his spirit to fulfill what he has called us to do. Not by the arm of the flesh, but by the power of God. He wants us to go with power. But not only go with power, he wants us to go preaching. He wants us to go preaching. In Matthew 28 verse 19, 
He says, go ye therefore and teach all nations, and teach all nations. Now, I don't know about you, but when I would hear preaching on this text, I heard them say something like, this is Christ's instruction to go and make disciples, and I never understood how they got that, because it says to teach all nations. But now I, I understand how they get that. And the word teach here comes from the Greek word mathetuo, and it's simply a word that ultimately is derived from disciple, disciple. And so the instruction to go and teach all nations is, in essence, what he's telling them is he's wanting them to go and make disciples of all nations. This is where the word comes from. This is where the connection is. And so this is the instruction given that they would go and make disciples of all nations, that they would go and teach all nations. And this command was given once and for all until Jesus comes. It's the same word used not only as disciple, but instructed, as taught, and as we see in our text, to teach, to teach. And so the question is, how do you make disciples of all nations? What do we teach all nations if we're gonna, in order to make disciples of all nations? Well, the parallel passage in Mark chapter 16 says this. He says, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. Amen. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. This is how you make disciples of all nations. This is practically the instruction given where we are to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to every creature. What's the gospel? The gospel as written in 1 Corinthians 15 is how Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Now it's not about saying it in that specific order as if it's some sort of formula that enables something. It's simply saying it's the good news of Jesus Christ and that's what we're to go forth and preach these glad tidings of good things. The good news that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and exactly like he said and exactly like it was prophesied he went to that cross for you and I and he hung there bearing our sin upon him and he died there and he was buried in a rich man's tomb just like it was prophesied in a borrowed tomb but you know what else came to pass he rose again and he didn't just rise again he rose again on the third day like he said he would according to the scriptures and he's ascended, sitting at the right hand of the Father right now, making intercession for the believers. Brothers and sisters, this is the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, when those words were declared in these times, in the Bible times, it wasn't news just like you and I heard, oh yeah, I heard it there and I heard it there and I heard it my whole life growing up and I see it in that church and that church and that church. This was something that either... That, uh, that, that was new to many people's ears. This was something that many people did not like, especially the religious crowd. I wouldn't say every one of them, but mostly the religious crowd. You know why? They crucified him. But that's the good news we are sent forth to declare. This is the only thing that can possibly make disciples of all nations. It's the gospel. It's the gospel that saves 
Like he says in Paul, to the, like Paul says to the church in Thessalonica that you are called by the gospel. By the gospel. It's the gospel that saves. It's the gospel that makes disciples. It was the gospel that made a disciple out of Paul the Apostle and many others. And this is why he says, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Because he knows it's the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believeth. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. We are not only to go preaching the gospel, but even specifically preaching repentance and remission of sins. Again, the parallel passage, Luke 24, 47, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. We are to go forth preaching the gospel, but even more specifically, we are to be preaching repentance and remission of sins. Repentance firstly is simply a change of mind and that's all it is. And a change of mind always results in a change of heart. And so when repentance is evident, what we see of a change of mind is this, when I hear the gospel preached, when I hear the counsel of God preached, when I hear the word of God presented, presented, excuse me, and repentance takes place. You know what that looks like? You know what? I forsake what I used to think and what I used to believe and I agree with what God says. It's a change of mind that always results in a change of life. You know why people do the things that they do in life? It's because what they believe and what they think. It's their philosophies in their mind and in their heart. And this is when repentance comes into place. And when repentance of preach, what, uh, preach, what are we in essence calling people after delivering the good news? That they would consider the good news and that they would change their mind. And that they would turn to God. In Acts chapter 20 it's put this way. It's repentance towards God. And it doesn't just stop there. It says, and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. When repentance is evident, you see people agreeing with God. And when you agree with God, you turn to His Son to be saved. This is the fullness of repentance. The Old Testament puts it this way. Seek ye the Lord while He may be found. Call ye upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. It is a forsaking of our ways. It's a forsaking of our thoughts and it's a turning to God. That's what repentance is. Jesus preached it. Paul preached it. We see Christ saying in the opening of his ministry when he came, the very first message he preached was, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. You see, the Bible tells us that Jesus said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so this is why we are to go forth preaching repentance, but repentance and remission of sins. You see, remission of sins specifically in His name. For He is the only one that can remit the sins of men. Remission simply means 
freedom, pardon, deliverance, forgiveness, to be set at liberty. It's, uh, it's obviously being freed from the penalty and this is what we are to go forth. This is the good news that Christ Jesus came to free us from that condemnation that's upon us, the penalty that's upon us by sin. It's remission of sins. Bible says, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That's the only name given to men under heaven whereby we must be saved. To him give all the pro prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall have remission of sins. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see, it's repentance and remission of sins in His names, in His name. And the Bible tells us clearly that there were many things written in this book and that there were many things that Christ did that were not written in His book. But all that was written in this book, the Bible tells us that, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through His name, through His name. It's only in the name of Christ. Amen. And this is why we are not pointing people to preachers. And this is why we are not pointing people to anyone else but Christ. Mm. But Christ. And so we are to go <clears throat> and to preach. But we are to go also to every place. To every place. Matthew chapter 28 verse 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Mark chapter 16, go into all the world. Luke chapter 24, among all nations. Christ wants us to reach the world with the gospel. The biblical pattern we see demonstrated, even spelled out in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, after that ye had received power, after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, he says, ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now they began in Jerusalem and this is where they were placed and this is where the Spirit of God came upon them and this is where it in essence began in Jerusalem. And this is where the pattern that we see, we see it begins in Jerusalem and that word both doesn't simply mean just twice, it, the, the word both here is indicating also and at the same time. So although they began in Jerusalem, they were to start in Jerusalem, they weren't to stay in Jerusalem. They were to go into all the world, they were to teach all nations. And we see Jerusalem, I took this from a uh, missions course, or a course I did with Brother Charlie, and I, I believe it was very good and very practical in making practical application. Firstly in Jerusalem, Jerusalem is the first place, it's the first place, surrounding suburbs. And he says, in all Judea, all Judea was a familiar place, speaking of the major cities and states round about, as we would understand it. And then he says, in Samaria, now Samaria was a forsaken place, the outcast of society. You see, the Samaritans, or Samaria, were so despised by the Jews, that even though it took longer to go around them, they went around them, that's how much they despised them. But he's saying the gospel needs to go to them too. It's the outcast of society. A forsaken place. And then he says, in the uttermost part of the earth, a foreign place. This is what 
we often refer to as foreign missions going into other countries. And I think you and I have a concept in our minds that missions is only takes place in other countries. But you see, God has placed every one of us in a mission field. We have been given a mission. We are on a mission if we have applied ourselves to fulfill what God has commissioned us to do. See, it's not just when we go overseas we fulfill the Great Commission or on a mission. We're on a mission here. See, God wants us not to uh, neglect our Jerusalem as it were. He doesn't want us to stay in our Jerusalem, but He doesn't want us to neglect it. And so missionaries aren't simply those that just go to foreign fields. This is our mission field. The world is our mission field, yes, but we are not to neglect where we are and we are not to neglect roundabout. And you and I can see very clearly what's taken place today with everything that's going on is a direct attack, I believe, I believe, against the Great Commission in fulfilling the Great Commission, particularly to the uttermost parts of the earth. I thank God we're not the only ones with the gospel and that God has his children in every city. But we are still not to neglect what God has called us to do. And this is the biblical pattern we see, the instruction that's given by Christ to the disciples. Not just to go preach and not just to every place, but to every person. To every person. Going to all the world and preach the gospel to every Creature, Christ, who do you want me to share the gospel with? To every creature. To every creature. Now, brothers and sisters, you and I know and understand that it wasn't necessarily literally every single person that walked by the disciples or the children of God that they would stop them. But in saying that, maybe they did. I don't know. It doesn't say. But what we do know is that the commission is given and not limited to a select group, but it's to be preached to every creature. Every creature. And there are men out there that, I'll tell you what, they're hard to preach to. But God still wants you to preach to them. You see, there are a lot of wicked people out there. And does God, is God pleased with them? No. The Bible clearly tells us that He hates all workers of iniquity. That He is angry, angry with the wicked every Day. He absolutely despises it. He is angry with the wicked, not just the wickedness, but the wicked. But you know how we tell people that uh, Christ, um, you know, he, he, he loves, he hates the sin, but loves the sinner. And the only reason why we know that to be true to some extent is because Christ died for sinners. Christ died for sinners. And although God is angry with the wicked every day, he also says he takes, he has no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked will turn from his way and live. And then he goes on to say, Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die? Listen to this, a house of Israel. These were the chosen ones. These were the ones that were supposed to be recognized as the people of God. And something had taken place over time that they were so far from God that they became a wicked people that needed to repent. But we see God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked, even though he's angry with them. And so we preach it to every creature. He's not willing that any should perish, 
but that all should come to repentance. You and I know it's not limited. The scope of it is worldwide. It's for everyone. It's for whosoever. It's for whosoever. How sad when many are like those stubborn religious people that when the invitation to come and have life is offered, but they would not come, that they would have life. The religious folk thought they had Abraham, they had Moses, they were following him, but they weren't. And Jesus says, you think you're following them, you think you're following the scriptures. He says, search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they which testify of me. And prior to that, he, that's where he says, Oh, excuse me, after that he says, and you will not come to me that you, might have not, that you might have life. See, it's not for us, brothers and sisters. You, please understand this. When, I've, when I became a Christian and was uh, witnessing to every person, I was absolutely discouraged with the response. And I was so discouraged with the response because I took upon myself, no one told me this, but I took upon myself the responsibility to convert them. But that's not what we've been called to do. We have been commissioned to compel them. We have been commissioned to tell them the good news. We have been commissioned to plead with them, to tell them the gospel, to call them to repentance, to call them to the one that can remit their sins, the, ones, the one that can save them, that if they would come to him, that they would have life. But the responsibility of converting them is not upon us. Only the Spirit of God can convict of sin and righteousness and judgment. And God has given us His Word to help them see their sin. And God has given us the Word to help them see the authority and the 100% sure way to have their sins forgiven and know where they're going to spend eternity. These things are given to us to teach them, but it's not on us to convert them. Oh, that we would, that men would be converted. And how we pray for the conversion of souls. Brothers and sisters, we've been given the commission, regardless of the response of man, to go to every person, to every creature. You know what, you know what God did? Every time He sent a messenger and they killed him, He just sent another one. And you know, after they killed that one, you know what he did? He just sent another one. And you know, after they rejected and despised and mocked and dishonored and defamed and misrepresented that one, you know what he did? He sent another one. And 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 this is the sermon that Stephen preached to the Sanhedrin when he was brought in before the council. Because they were troubled by the message he was preaching. He was healing. People were getting healed. People were getting saved. And it bothered the religious folk. So they falsely accused him. And he told them that God sent a messenger and you rejected him. And God sent a messenger again and you rejected them. And God sent a messenger again and you rejected them. And he says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. There's nothing wrong with the message. There's nothing wrong with the message. There's something wrong with those that resist the Spirit of God. There's something wrong with the heart of men. But let me say this. Let me just say this. Although that's, 
that's an issue and that's where the problem lies why men do not come to Christ to give the balance Matthew chapter 9 says this the harvest truly is plenteous but the labor is a few the labor is a few is mankind the problem every one of us <laughs> every one of us Yes, no doubt, in some measure. Is there a problem with the message? Absolutely not. It's with the heart of men that love darkness rather than light, whatever they may look like to every individual man. But you know where there is a problem on our part? The problem isn't because the harvest is the way it is. In Matthew chapter 9, he doesn't point the finger at the harvest and says the problem is at the harvest. He points the finger at the laborers and he says the problem's with the laborers. The problem is there's not enough laborers. And so the instruction is given by Christ to pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth specifically laborers into his harvest. And brothers and sisters, if only we would hearken to that call and apply ourselves as laborers together with God to take this commission to, excuse me, to every person. To every person. He is the saviour of all men. Especially of those that believe. So to go to every person. So we're to go with power, go preaching, but we are to go with purpose. Now this is the fuller picture I want us to understand with the Great Commission. The Great Commission, the vision and mission of the Great Commission is not complete by only preaching the gospel in every place to every person and leaving them on their own after they get saved to work it all out for themselves. The vision and mission of the Great Commission is church planting in order to establish believers in the faith. Matthew chapter 28, he, go, he goes on to say, Go therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And this is the full picture of the Great Commission. We might refer to it as discipleship. Why when people get saved, we, we recommend as we would refer to it as discipleship. Because what's discipleship? Discipleship is establishing new believers in the faith. It's teaching them what the scripture says, that they would walk in it. And this is what Thessalonians talks about too. That they did not just simply give to them the gospel of God, but they imparted to them their own soul's also, and they preached unto them the whole counsel of God that they may walk in it. That's the full picture of the Great Commission, brothers and sisters. And I don't know how many times you've heard it, if you've heard it, but I don't know how many times I've heard it, where brothers and sisters, they're born again, they have a testimony of salvation, but they will testify that they were never discipled. They were never taken aside. They were never taught the scriptures. They were never uh, spent in, in going through and, and seeing what a disciple looks like and what a disciple does and how a disciple ought to live. And yes, there's the preaching and teaching ministry that we observe uh, Sunday morning and Sunday evening, but it's not just there. If that's where you think it is and that's where it just ends, you're wrong. It's not just behind the pulpit. But this is the full picture of church 
planting. This is the full picture and vision of the Great Commission. It's not just to go and preach the gospel, it's to establish people in the faith, establish them in the faith. We see that when the gospel came, it was preached there by Peter. And it says, they that gladly received his, uh, received his word were baptized. And the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. And the Lord further down says, added to the church daily such as should be saved. He adds them to the church because the church is the body of believers that God has instituted to function as a body. And I'm going to touch on that in a little bit and I can't get into every element here but to be baptized, to be immersed by God appointed men recognized by the church in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Ghost. This is the authority given the apostles' doctrine. This is uh, not just the teachings of Christ, but everything about Christ and the teaching of the Word of God. Fellowship. Fellowship is not a social gathering. Fellowship is partnership in the gospel. It's conversations revolving around the things of God. This is fellowship and in breaking of bread. This is not simply about coming together to have a big feast like we enjoyed, praise God, you know, after, after, after the preaching. But this breaking of bread, I believe, is specifically referring to the Lord's table. You see, they were rebuked in 1 Corinthians for treating the Lord's table like a feast. Like a feast. He says, if you're, if you're hungry, eat at home. We're not coming together to observe the Lord's table to have a big feast and to be drunk. In the breaking of bread and in prayers. Please understand this. Prayer meeting on Wednesday is not just a church thing to do. It's not that every church has a Wednesday night prayer meeting, that's why there's a prayer meeting. This organized meeting is simply an, 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 a purposed arrangement of a practical outworking for every one of us to be able to come together and as we see it as the fruit of salvation and the demonstration of what the Spirit of God does in the life of the people of God, they want to pray. They want to pray. And so this is why we come together and not limited to, but why we come together those Wednesday nights. What? For the purpose of having a prayer meeting? No. It's so that we would continue steadfastly in prayers, in prayers. And this is why they prayed. They were, they, they were grounded. This was the fruit of salvation. They were added to the church and, 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 and they continued in this way. The scripture shows us for first that, 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 that people are added to the Lord, then the Lord adds them to the church. And we must remember that it's the Lord's church and He will build it. It's not put on us to build the church of God. Aren't you glad about that? Aren't you glad that we don't have to come up with some sort of festivals and things that are going to persuade the community to come to something? We don't. We have not been required to add people to the church. God does that. God adds and God takes away. It's His church. It's His responsibility. He's never given us that responsibility. And remember that it's His church. It's His church. 
And except the Lord build the house, they labour in vain that build it, the psalmist says. The Lord has not only chosen to work through individuals, but specifically through the church collectively, especially when it comes to carrying out the Great Commission. The Bible shows, and again I have the references here, but for the sake of time we can't visit everyone, that the Lord gifts and sets the members in the body of Christ. The Lord has purposely given His churches ministers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit, we see, calls and separates men to a work. We see also that the church recognizes that calling. We see the church that recognizes what the Spirit of God is doing and that they pray and that they send them forth. But in the same token, the Bible says in Acts 13, 4, that the Holy Spirit sends them forth. And so what we're seeing here is that the church is in tune with the Holy Ghost, at least ought to be in tune with the Holy Ghost and how God works in the midst of the church. Missionaries, as we'd refer to them, report back to their home church, as we see demonstrated in Acts chapter 14, as we refer to a home church. They even report and visit and encourage other churches. Supporting missions, as, we, as we'd refer to it, is done through the local church. We are not going to seek funding from the heathen and, and have some sort of fundraisers. We don't see that demonstrated in the scriptures. It's supported by the local church. Uh, we see that it's supported cheerfully even by other churches. Yes, although there's uh, um, independence, there's interdependence. And the churches minister to one another and support one another. And so we see how it's all functioning through the church of God. And this is the purpose why church planting is the fulfillment of the Great Commission. That churches would be established. That there would be a functioning body there. And how sweet it is if every single one of us would just simply do what God has set for us to do and what God has set us to be and how sweet it is when the body is fully functioning and you and I know when there's certain members of our body that don't function as they have as they ought to function there's a lot of grief and pain and dysfunction in the body but how sweet it is when the body functions as it ought to function the Lord cherishes excuse me cherishes his church so much that we see believers are exhorted, especially in terms of the overseas, we see in Hebrews saying, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not grief. And notice these words, it says, For that is unprofitable for you. This is taking for granted that the overseer is doing what he has been called to do to nurture and feed and lead the flock of God as a shepherd does the sheep. Now he is not the great shepherd, he is simply an appointed overseer over the flock of God to lead the church of God in all the will of God. And the responsibility on every one of us is yes to obey them that have the rule over you and to submit yourselves, what, for their dictatorship? No! but that we would follow them as they follow Christ. But the balance is given in 1 Peter. Although there are overseers given, 
The instruction is to feed the flock of God which is among you, taking oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre's sake, what we see everywhere today, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. Those that are called to lead the churches of God are not dictators, but examples if they are fulfilling what God has called them to do and what God has called them to be. And to those ones, God has called us to obey and to, our, to submit ourselves. But what a fearful day that's going to be for those that have sought to lord over God's heritage. And I don't know what it's going to look like in that day. But it's a fearful day for those that say, and, and you know what, oftentimes it may sound like, I say it may sound like because I don't believe all have the motive of this. But when people say stuff like, uh, my people do this, as if the church is there, it's my people. No, it's God's people. And we are part of God's people. And we are, yes, to submit to those that have authority, but in the same token, we are sub to submit ourselves one to another in the fear of God. And we are to be striving together. It's not about that, uh, the past as the final say, as it were. But there is an order given in the body of Christ for the body to function as it ought. And this is why God has called us, knowing the manner of life. Paul said it many a times. You know what manner of life we are. And that's what a leader must be. Someone who's an open book. Someone that we can clearly see we know the manner of life. And that's the balance. So we are to go again. <clears throat> so not only go with purpose not just to preach the gospel, but for the sake of establishing churches. But lastly, we had to go with His promise. We had to go with His promise. And He says at the end there in Matthew chapter 28, He says, And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. That's the promise. Christ has not left us alone. He says, I'm going to be with you always, even unto the end of the world. And the, the word world there is signifying the end of the age. In other words, Christ is going to be with us until the end. And He's always going to be there. Although man may not be there, Christ will always be there. And we see it even demonstrated when Christ commissioned them in Mark chapter 16 that, and that they went forth and preached everywhere. It says, And the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Christ did not leave them alone. He was working with them and He was with them always. This is the confidence in the book of Hebrews says, it says that, uh, that, that it says, for he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And therefore we can have great confidence in his promise and find much rest in him. Even Timothy testifies. He says this in 2 Timothy. He says, at my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it would not be laid to their charge. Paul was saying something that was a very real thing. 
And whatever ultimately happened there and whatever took place there, he says everyone forsook him. But he doesn't hold it against them. He says, I pray God not be late to their charge. I don't have any maliciousness toward them, but that was a reality. But you know what? Paul didn't just stop there. He says, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And he had confidence, he says, that the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul found great comfort in that promise. Brothers and sisters, we have been given a comforting promise that we are to go forth remembering that Christ will never leave us nor forsake us. Man may forsake you and no one may stand with you but if you know the Lord's there then He'll strengthen you. That's comforting. He's not just going to leave us in these dark days. Oh, He's warned us of what's coming our way and He's even encouraged us to be faithful even perhaps unto the death. But I thank God He will never leave us, nor forsake us, even unto the end of the world. Unto the end He'll be with us. Why am I sharing this? I'm not trying just to simply present the Great Commission from the Scriptures, but brothers and sisters, this is why we do what we do. This is a practical outworking of what God has left us here to do not individually but together as the body of Christ Paul exhorts even the church there in Philippians Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27 we know it it's a very familiar verse but I want us to see how he how he exhorts the body of Christ he says it this way only, that's how he starts, only, what a standard, only let your conversation be that which becometh the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what he's saying here? Let everything you do and everything you're about be about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's all about the gospel. It's all about Christ. And let it be found of us that we could, that it would be a testimony upon us individually, but as a church, collectively, that we are all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what our conversation is. It's revolving around the gospel. We say it many times. I told my brothers many times, work is not about work. That's just another avenue to minister the gospel. Where God has placed us is simply another avenue to minister the gospel. And what I'm simply trying to say, it's not to simply go there with the microphone and start preaching, but everything we do and everywhere we go, God has commissioned us and desires of us that it would be a testimony before everyone and testimony before God that our conversation is governed and found constantly revolving the gospel of Jesus Christ only only let your conversation be that which becometh the gospel and he got of Christ 
He goes on to say that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast, listen here, in one spirit. In one spirit. With one mind. Striving together for the faith of the gospel. You cannot strive together without unity. Be of one spirit. Be of one mind. Striving together for the faith of the gospel. And we read when people were getting saved and they were filled with the Holy Ghost. The Bible says they were of one mind. They were of one accord. They were of one soul. They were of one heart. And here that they were striving together for the sake of the gospel, for the faith of the gospel. God has called us to strive together, not against each other, not separate from one another, but together, collectively, as the body of Christ for the sake of the gospel. You and I know that God hasn't called every one of us to be an ear or to be an eye, but the body is to function in unity together to perform what it's been given to be formed, to perform. We may not all be out there, but every one of us can pray. We may not all be able to get to another place, another city, another state, another country, but you and I know that we can get on our knees and spend some time in Solomon Islands on our knees. And spend some time in, in Israel on our knees. And spend some time with our persecuted brethren in the prisons on our knees. Even though we might not be there bodily. Prayer is not limited to a place, brothers and sisters. Every single one of us can pray. Every single one of us in some measure can give whether it's money or whether it's of ourselves. I love the testimonies recorded in Scripture of the different ones that were ministers of the Gospel and that they stood out above many. Not that that was something special, but their labor was so evident. Was so evident. I think of Priscilla and Aquila that Paul says they laid down their own neck for his sake. What a commitment, what a heart. Why? Because they died for the man? No, because they knew what the man was living for. It was for the gospel. And they laid down their own necks for him. I think of the house of Stephanus, as it was mentioned in the morning, they addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. And I tell you what, you get ministering to the saints, brothers and sisters, you watch and see how it's going to become an addiction. I think of Lydia when she got saved, constrained them to come and stay with her. This is a heart given for those that do their part, as it were. I read of, of the church in Macedonia that out of their deep poverty, you still couldn't hold them back from giving to the work and uh, seeking to minister to the saints of God. We are all called to strive together. And as I've said it before, I say it again, brothers and sisters, be so careful not to hinder the work of God. Wives don't hinder your husbands. Husbands don't hinder your wives. Children don't hinder your parents and don't hinder one another in fulfilling the work of God. Brothers don't hinder your sisters in the Lord. Sisters don't hinder your brothers in the Lord. Don't be a stumbling block to one another. But love one another. 
because we are to strive together for the sake of the gospel. This is why Paul says stuff, my liberty I lay it aside, I can do it, it's lawful for me, but I don't care about it because it doesn't encourage you. We don't want to be hindrances to the work of God. We don't. And oftentimes we are. But we have been called, and this is why I'm sharing this tonight, brothers and sisters, and I'm not talking about a New Year's resolution, right? But you want some sort of vision. Keep this for this year, and the one following, and the one following, and the one following, and so on and so forth, until the Lord comes, whenever that is, that we would strive together for the faith of the gospel. Not against each other. Together. For the faith of the gospel. The Great Commission is not about us. It's about Christ and it's about others. And God help us to strive together for the sake of the gospel. The vision and mission of the Great Commission is church planting. And brothers and sisters, if you and I would get our sight beyond just what's taken place here and that God would open our vision as He shows us in the Scriptures to seek where else would God have us to go? What else would God have us to do while we have opportunity? While we have opportunity. That's the vision. It's not just local. It's worldwide. It's worldwide. Go is not a consideration nor a recommendation or even an exhortation. It's a clear directive for the church of God to carry out. It's not about praying if God wants us to go. I remember, I think, I can't remember who exactly said it. Don't pray if God wants you to go, pray if God wants you to stay. And so one thing that God has made us clear is that we are all in any way which we are capable of and that way which God has enabled us to be involved and active together, together in this great commission, in this great commission. There was a bunch of um, quotes from different men that thoroughly encouraged me and I thought I'd put them together and I'm going to read it as if I'm reading one kind of sentence or paragraph it just kind of molds in well together, but I'm going to read it and I hope it encourages you as it encouraged me also. Men that were very aware of what the Great Commission was and men that made the Great Commission and had it as their vision and gave their lives for it. Men that, 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 that knew what it was to fulfill it, to fulfill it. And brothers and sisters, why I say it's not simply a work given to those that are in leadership as we'd refer to it. We see the Bible uh, talking about even Priscilla and Aquila taking a man like Apollos in, the Bible says, who is an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures. And Priscilla and Aquila, husband and wife, taught him in the more perfect way. Mate, Apollos, what a humble man. But all I'm simply saying is God has called us together to strive together for the sake of the gospel. Here as I read out these different quotes. The Great Commission is not an option to be considered, it is a command to be obeyed. Is not the commission of our Lord still binding upon us? Can we not do more than now we are doing? 
His authority on earth allows us to dare to go to all nations. His authority in heaven gives us our only hope of success and His presence with us leaves us no other choice. Someone to live within the sound of a church or a chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. It is no marvel that the devil does not love field preaching, neither do I. I love a commodious room, a soft cushion, a handsome pulpit. But where is my zeal if I do not trample all these underfoot in order to save one more soul? I have but one passion. It is he. It is he alone. The world is the field and the field is the world. And henceforth that country shall be my home where I can be most used in winning souls for Christ. The man who is all aglow with love to Jesus finds little need for amusement. He has no time for trifling. He is in dead earnest to save souls and establish the truth and enlarge the kingdom of his Lord. You must go forward on your knees. Could a mariner sit idle if he heard the drowning cry? Could a doctor sit in comfort and just let his patients die? Could a fireman sit idle, let men burn and give no hand? Can you sit at ease in Zion with the world around you damned? Not called, did you say? Not heard the call, I think you should say. Put your ear down to the Bible and hear him bid you go and pull sinners out of the fire of sin. Put your ear down to the burden, agonized heart of humanity and listen to its pitiful wail for help. Go stand by the gates of hell and hear the damned entreat you to go to their father's house and bid their brothers and sisters and servants and masters not to come there. And then look Christ in the face whose mercy you have professed to obey and tell him whether you will join heart and soul and body and circumstances in the march to publish his mercy to the world. And one man said in closing, I will go down if you will hold the ropes. These quotes are from different men. And even that one says, you know, this, this comfort was a man named John Wesley. And uh, he found that, uh, I don't know to, to, to quote him exactly, but somewhat of a no-go to go straight preaching and no-go to go field preaching, as they call it in those times. I don't know if he considered it an abomination, but, but these men that are in some sort of place of ministry don't do that. But that's where God's called us to go. And that's where his ministry was established there on the streets. You know why? Churches didn't want him. And so he went forth to those sinners that Christ died for on those streets and preached the gospel. And this is what I say to men, if you know without a shadow of a doubt that God has called you to preach, this is not the pulpit he only wants you to preach from. This isn't it. You know there's more preaching done at that table than there is over here. You know there's more preaching done out there than there is over here. And so if you think that the preaching is here, you got it wrong. You got it wrong. But God help us, by His grace, to go with power, to go preaching, to go with purpose, and to go with His promise, and to go together. Together.
Amen? Amen.